Hello and welcome to the 28 Summers podcast. This is a very different voice. I know you're not expecting to hear a Scottish female voice, but I'm very delighted to welcome to the podcast today the one and only the host of 28 Summers, Jay. How are you? I'm good, Katie. Thank you. Really good. This is a bit odd, but I'm excited. <laughs> it's very strange. Thank you so much for having me because, uh, yeah, it's very exciting to be hosting someone else's podcast for a change. That's really uh, quite unusual, but fun. I like the concept. So let's get stuck right in because people will have heard bits of your story throughout the series, uh, this both seasons actually, and so they'll know roughly. But let's get right back to the beginning and talk about what brought you to the podcast to doing a podcast and not just the podcast but the sort of ethos around it and everything that you're trying to do sort of in your life and that kind of thing yeah for sure um well so I think I I take people back normally to kind of my mid mid 30s and I was getting to a point where my career was really taking off so I was on this kind of rocket ship trajectory was my career um taking promotions really you know really leaning in and working hard and that has its pressures on on the family um which we maybe talk about later but it certainly has its pressures on the kind of personal health and i just found myself uh as somebody who spent my entire career working in the fitness industry as having this kind of external perception of me that that i was fit and healthy because i worked in a certain industry and i looked reasonably slim uh, to the reality that I was kind of, I think, deeply unwell. I wasn't in a great headspace. Uh, I was probably drinking too much. I was certainly eating the wrong foods and training was sporadic and inconsistent. And I just kind of had this epiphany, really. I looked around me and saw, you know, with respect, a lot of a lot of people older than me, a few promotions down the line who were all kind of tired, <laughs> overweight, uh, stressed, uh, maybe on their second marriage, uh, third marriage. And, and I just thought, I, I just don't want that to be me. I, I just really don't want that to be me. And so that kind of was the, the inflection point in my life where I just, I just realized that I had to, to be in con- more in control and more accountable to myself in terms of my health. So I just, I started reading a lot more about you know, health and well-being, about mindfulness. I started doing a lot more mobility. I started really focusing on, um, you know, uh, all aspects of my health from uh, from nutrition to mental well-being uh, to the fitness that I was doing and just decided at that moment that I needed to get more in control. And that led me down this path to, you know, listening to a lot of people about how they'd done the same kind of things in their lives. And um, it just became really transformational for me. I know that's a word that's really often overused, but for me, um, it, was a, it was a genuine game changer. And, and I, through that process, the, one, the biggest epiphany I think I had was I had to get control of my mornings because you know, I'm, a, I'm a dad, um, so I've got you know busy personal life, and then I've got this crazy busy work life. And I just found that I would wake up in the mornings and before I knew it, my day was was derailed. It was other people owned my day, basically. Other people were were calling the shots and an email that came in or a text message or an emergency. And and I would get to the end of the day and I would be completely wiped um, emotionally and physically. I hadn't made time for, for my own mental well-being. I hadn't made time for my own kind of health and fitness. And the days just started to blur into one. And I almost felt like I was in a bit of a trance, just kind of rolling from one day to the next and so at that moment I mean I read that you know the 5am club and the million dollar morning and all of these books I started to think there's something here like there's this consistent trait that really successful people have really good handle on their morning routine and and they 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 kind of own their morning and so they get stuff done that's really important to them early on and so you know I would just get up really early in the mornings and um and get down in, I was living in America at the time and I would get down in the basement and, and listen to, uh, you know, podcasts and, and other things. And that, um, led me to listen to a podcast with a guy called Jesse Itzler. Um, and he was being interviewed by a guy called Tom Bilyeu, who has an, uh, a podcast called impact theory it was the first podcast I ever really listened to. Uh, it's been going for years and years and years. And Jesse was being interviewed and was asked, and, and some of the listeners will have heard this, but maybe some of them haven't really heard where the name 28 Summers comes from. They, you know, they, they maybe haven't gone back to, the, to 
the pilot episode or, or episode one in season one. And Jesse was 50 at the time. And Tom said, where does your, where does your zest for life come from? Like you're, you're this 50 year old, but you're just relentless energy. Like every single moment has to be optimized. Where does that come from? And Jesse said something that genuinely changed my life. He, he said, I just turned 50 and the average life expectancy of a male in the US is 78. So I've got 28 years left if I live to the average, which means I've got 28 summers with my kids left. And it's less than that because my kids will grow up and have their own summer holidays. And, you know, it just in that moment, like it sounds so cliched and Hollywood, but everything stopped. I stopped working out. I stopped doing what I was doing. And I just I had to I hit rewind and I listened to him again, like four times in a row, the same bit. And I was just like, that is it. That is what I've been grappling with. Like I've got to make the most of it. And at that time I was late thirties. And so it wasn't quite 28 summers for me, but in that moment, the idea for the 28 summers podcast was born because from then on that really, that really was the tipping point where every day for me had to be, you know, had to win the week, right? I like that notion of winning the week. Not every day can be perfect, but if I can win four out of seven days, then that's a really good average. And if I can keep that up, then I can have a really good, you know, call it second half of my life. And so, yeah, that was, that was really where the idea for uh, the podcast came from because over the next kind of couple of years, really my, my life changed completely. And I, it was so transformational for me that I wanted to share that, that same kind of idea and see if it would help other people. I've, I find that really fascinating that there was, cause I, when you talk to people that have these sorts of transformational moments if you like there is always a moment and actually I was gonna ask you because everybody can tell you where what that moment was where they thought this is not how my life is supposed to be for example and I'm interested to hear that yours came though after you'd already decided to make some changes so what was where what was there a specific moment where that sort of absence of joy for example, for want of a better expression, was there a moment before that 28 summers moment? Does that make sense? Does yeah. it, did you, because in my own experience, these transformations, these transitions, there is a moment, but then it can take quite a long time to start putting stuff in place. How quickly did yours happen? Was there a moment and how quickly did it come about? Uh, there was definitely a moment and it, I would say, uh, it took a couple of years. So the 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 from the moment of thinking uh, I need to make a change to the the what I call the Jesse Itzler twenty eight summers moment was was a, I think you know two and a half years something like that. And I don't have a good answer for the first moment. It, it's not as clearly defined for me, probably because it's not as easy to label. You know, the Jesse Itzler moment ended up being the moment that named the podcast. So it's. It's got a very special place in my heart, but I also remember it clearly because it had such a profound effect in me in that moment. I've never, I don't think I've ever had a moment like that before or since where I just, I was, I was completely flawed and had to just stop. Not, you know, normally at that moment, because my, my work was so busy and my life was so busy, I was always on, okay, I've got 21 minutes until I need to go get ready because I've got to get on this call. And, you know, life was down to the very single moment. And in that moment, it, it, the clock, it was like the clock stopped. I had no care in the world. I just wanted to try and absorb that moment. Before that, it was just a collection of things. I think it was just, re- you know, it's the usual cliche stuff, seeing pictures of yourself you know, realizing that you're probably more overweight than you thought you were, you know, realizing you're probably drinking more than you should be, realizing that you're not really present for your kids in a way that you should be a bit bit distracted, um, maybe snapping a bit too much with the family, the people that you love because you're tired. And yeah, it was just a collection of things, really. It wasn't one single moment before that. But I think the reason that the the Jesse Itzler moment was so profound for me was it was almost like the final straw. It was like everything came to a crescendo in that moment. And it was quite emotional. It was, I just remember being completely overwhelmed for the rest of that day. And how did you involve the people in your life in this sort of, was it difficult for them? Do you, can you speak to that? Or was, your, was it easier for them when you were as you were? Was the transformation difficult? Did they notice a difference after? Sorry, very many yeah. questions, but I'm trying to see what yeah. the impact was 
of the you before, the you during and the you now? Yeah, that's a really difficult one to answer because we were living in the US at the time. And then, you know, not long after that, we had James, our fourth child. And then for a variety of reasons that I won't go into, you know, my my assignment in the US came to an end and we had to move back really quickly. And George had, my wife had really uh, grappled with the move to the US in the first place. And it had been really difficult, really hard on her. And she finally kind of got over the, the hump and started to really see you know, the near term life in the US and was really comfortable. And then it all had to come away. And I was very aware of that. You know, we've got a really good relationship. And I, I was very aware that I dragged her to the other side of the world. She'd been through this emotional roller coaster. And then, you know, we were going to have to go back. So the Jesse Itzler moment wasn't long after that all happened and uh, long before all that happened. And so I just, I didn't really want to talk too much about it because I didn't want to make her life any more difficult and make her more. So I, I kind of locked it all up inside, which is absolutely the wrong thing to do. And I only really started to talk about how sad I was, Frank. I think, you know, I, I don't necessarily want to say depressed because I, I don't, I don't really know whether it, it would classify as depression, but I just felt continuously sad despite having a wonderful life. And, and then within that, there was this implicit guilt because at that, by that point, I was CEO of a billion-dollar company. I was 41 years old. I mean, you know, lots of people would love to be 41 and a you know, billion-dollar company CEO, and I had all the trappings of success. Um, and I was you know, deliriously happy from a family perspective. You know, there was absolutely no issues there. George and I are just having a one, wonderful relationship. She's an absolute saint, and I love her endlessly and the kids endlessly. And, and, and that's one of the things about, you know, deep sadness or depression that I feel is important to talk about is it doesn't really care how wealthy you are or how successful you are or how happy you are in your marriage uh, or as a parent. It, it's kind of aselective. And, and, and that's the one of the most frustrating things about it is I had this tremendous sadness and, uh, you know, I was unsettled and feeling like I was directionless and felt wildly unfulfilled. But I knew that I should be grateful for everything I had. And I knew I was, but I couldn't connect the dots between those two things. I don't know whether that makes sense. And so that made me go further into my shell because I felt like I was just like this ungrateful asshole, basically. Yeah. You know, that's what I felt. And so I just couldn't talk about it. Yeah, no, I I 100% understand where you're coming from. I've been through, as you know, we've been friends for a while now. You know, I've been through similar, not the same, but similar. And uh, you know, I've spoken to so many people who've had the same and you're right. It's the ungratefulness and then the guilt that comes with that. And then it just all seems to pile and pile and pile on top because, you know, we all live an Instagram life these days and, you know, you're there in America with your great job and, you know, wherever people are going, Oh, look at us. It's so great. And yet there's this, this ache of, and I, I like to call it now is the absence of joy because you just, you can't find the joy in the things that you should find the joy in. And so I totally, I do totally get it. So once you'd had your, your moment, your Jesse Itzler moment, what? So you were, then you came back to the UK and um, I want to talk about the podcast, but I also want to talk about, um, well, yeah, perhaps talk about the podcast first, but I also want to talk about, because it's not just a podcast. This is like a way of life for you now. This is, you know, it's driving, as I understand it, it drives your goals, your, your, your career, your everything that you want to do with your life and to help other people. Um, so let's talk about the podcast first, but in a, in a sort of a bigger scale, <laughs> if I've understood correctly. Yeah, I think I can do that because I, I you know, one of, one of the things, so dealing with all of that, you know, difficulty, that emotional stuff, move, moving back. You know, James was, I want to say, when we found out we had to move back, he was six weeks old. Oof. And then, um, you know, bearing in mind, we build a whole life when you do something like that. You rent a house, you get cars, you know, kids are in school, mm. the whole nine yards. And then from an immigration perspective, you get told you got 60 days to leave the country. Uh. Um, so there's a lot of pressure on there. You know, George was, you know, postnatally kind of handling with everything that she had to handle, having a baby in a different country, 
first baby she'd had without her mum around. It was really tough. We we got so so, and in that moment, I knew that uh, there were a few options bubbled up where maybe you could stay in the US, and we you know there lots of good networks were saying people in my network were saying, we'll, we'll, we want you to stay, we'll find something. And I knew in that moment I had, we had mm. to get home. It was the right thing to do for all of us, the family, for my, my kids, and then for me as well. We got home and I decided that I needed to have just a bit of a break. And of course, entirely privileged to, to financially be able to do that. Mm. Um, but, but it was important. It was important just to take a bit of breathing space. And you know, after I'd had a bit of a sulk about the way <laughs> things ended, um, I I dusted myself down and I said, I'm going to get out running again. Like, I love trail running. I love being outside. Um, I'm definitely not the fastest runner in the world. I'm a plodder. But I, it's, I, I always knew that it was a joyful experience for me as, as, as an adult. As, ironically, as a kid, I hated running, mm-hmm. but that's a whole separate story. <laughs> um, but it was a place where I could kind of go and disconnect. And we live uh, in the UK. We went back to our family home, which we kept while we were, while we were on assignment in the US. And I live near Swinley Forest. And I just started going out running there every week, long runs, a couple of hours at a time. And it was so cathartic and it was so powerful for me. And all of these things started to collide. And, you know, very kind of long-winded answer. But ultimately, the, the idea for 28 Summers just started gaining so much momentum on all of those runs. I was like, I know that this is the way I need to live my life now. Like, because in that moment, you're starting, you, you think, like, I'm the primary earner for the family, so i got to figure something out. i got to decide what we're going to do next. Um, you know, once you've figured out getting the kids settled in school and all of that good tactical stuff, there's like, okay, well, uh, at that time, I, th- I guess I was uh, 40, 40, nearly 42. No, I was just past 42. Um, you know, I, I've got to work. I can't retire. So <laughs> what am I going to do? And, and I just went through all of these emotions of trying to figure out what would come next. And, and to your point, I knew that at the heart of that needed to be two things. One needed to be my family were going to be number one. And, and that may seem like an odd thing to say, because in a way they were always number one. But I felt like at times work had made me make compromises on a family front. For example, I spent nine months living in Chicago with my family living in the the UK and I would see them Mm. every two or three weeks. And that was just not right. And I'd made a decision with George that ultimately was not good for the family. So I knew going forward that family had to be at the very heart and they were number one uh, without Mm -hmm. question. There would never be any compromise there. And number two was adventure needed to be at the heart because I knew that that was the, when I interviewed you for my podcast, you use an expression which I've used continuously since because I love it, which was, being outdoors and, and kind of living adventurously and pushing my comfort zone is the one thing outside of my family that made my heart sing. Mm-hmm. And you use that did. expression when I spoke to you and I, and I love it. And, and, and that is retrospectively the best way to describe how I was feeling when I started to think about, okay, I've got to, I've got to launch a podcast and I've got to make sure that every decision I make going forward is about living more adventurously. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested because, um, oh, lots of things. So many things. <laughs> um, I want to, you, you started running. So I'm coming back to that just because I remember you, when you first started describing how you felt in the States and you said that you were mentally not great and physically not in great shape, too much booze, not enough exercise, not great food. Do you think, which, which was worse for you, the mental side or the physical side, or is it impossible to separate the two well i think it's difficult to separate the two because i think they're um you know it's a it's a vicious circle isn't it and and um you know one one typically leads to you start to feel crap about yourself and then then you indulge and you eat you eat too much and drink too much and then you feel even worse about yourself so it's this horrible kind of spiral but i think also probably you know somewhat uniquely uh, versus i guess most other people is i'd spent two decades working in the global fitness industry. I have a master's in human performance physiology. You know, I I know (laughs) what's needed to to get myself in good shape. I know what's needed to to be healthy, but I was entirely unequipped on the mental uh, health side of things Um, to the extent that people around me have struggled with mental health over the years. And and I realize now how um, unaware uh, I was of just how crippling it was for them. 
Um, so yeah, I think it was hardest on the mental side just because I felt so unprepared, at least on the, on the, the health side, like the physical health and the fitness side of things. I knew what I needed to do. Yeah. yeah. You know, I just, I wasn't doing it, but at least I knew what I needed to do with the mental health side of things. I just, I didn't know who to talk to. George would have been amazing if I'd have shared more with her, but I didn't want to load her up with how I was feeling. And I know now that upsets her a little bit. She, she, she's upset to a certain extent about the fact that I didn't talk to her, but she also understands why I didn't. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And the, so the, so the, once you sort of helped with the mental side and you decided to, you know, put family and adventure first, I'm kind of interested to hear you say that because, and this is going to sound a bit odd, but I don't hear you in there. I know I sound like a counselor now, but <laughs> like, where were you in this family first adventure first? Was the adventure for you? No, the, event, the, family? the adventure was yeah. absolutely me. Um, and what I've discovered subsequently is that involving my family in the adventure um, brings me a lot of joy as well. You know, my son, William, is really interested. My daughter, Grace, is really interested in, in what I do and they, they want to get involved. Uh, but, yeah, I think that's probably a better way of describing it is the adventure was about putting my well-being at the front of the queue as well. And I had never really done that before. And so, yeah, that was a really important kind of epiphany for me, I think. It is. And it's amazing how when I think lots of people I've spoken to have exactly the same thing. There's that sort of guilt. But it's unusual in my experience that you hear that coming from a man. It's quite often. And this is actually how we first connected, isn't it? Because we connected on Instagram over a comment that you'd made about one of us had made, I can't really remember, about trying to put yourself first. And I was really struck by the fact that that came from a man because I hear all the time yeah. from women, especially mums, who have literally put, like you said at the very beginning about your mornings and people taking over your day before you yeah. even opened your eyes, someone, it's yeah. somebody else's day. And I'm really interested to hear that coming from a man. And I'm going to ask you a question that quite often gets asked to women and mums but very rarely to mums how do you balance it all how do you yeah. juggle it all because I know from us being friends that you are a very involved dad and a husband and but you also have to work like yeah. you have a full-time job and all of this so how what do you do what did you learn from those very early days of putting it together you know mastering your mornings and so on and, and how do you make it work yeah there's so much in there. Um, Sorry, what, it was no, a no. huge long question. <laughs> no, no, I don't. I don't mean it like that. I mean like I, there's so much I want to talk about there um, because one of the things I feel like you know when when you and I met, you told me about your podcast and and it's focused on on you know really inspirational women uh, and sharing their stories to help other women, and I love that. And I really toyed around for a while with the idea that the work that I do with Twenty Eight Summers might be focused on men. Um, mm. be- because, you know, there's, there's lots of groups of people are talked about a lot now and you know, people may roll their eyes when I say this, but I do think that, um, men are not often talked about now because they've always been, you know, patriarchal society, they've always been front and center. So they now don't get talked about so much. And I understand the genesis of that. The danger with that is around the world in most Western societies, men age 40 to 50 have the highest rates of suicide, and those rates are increasing. And so my concern a little bit is, okay, we were this heavily patriarchal society. Now we're trying to make sure we focus on other people, and we're forgetting a little bit to talk about men. And I'm a dad to two boys, and I worry about the world they're growing up in um, if they don't learn how to process their emotions and learn where they fit in society. So there's that whole piece going on, right? Which yeah, is, yeah, yeah. So when you, you, know, you ask me the question like um, – you know, how do you, how do you fit it all in? I, I think that a lot of men, just like a lot of dads, just like mums put their lives on hold when they become parents. And it's definitely mm. in a different way. I totally accept that it's yeah. not the same way, but they do like, um, you know, so for example, a lot of guys I know 
they've just doubled down on work, right? So, okay, I've got a, you know, and, and I know that's a, that's a very kind of mm-hmm. um, stereotypical kind of perception. It's not yeah. always the case. And so for them, in that moment, they become a parent. It's like, okay, you've got to double down on working. Forget, and then, so that leads to this spiral yeah. that, you, that you touched on, like forget about your health, forget about anything you want to do. You know, you better just, you better just go get some promotions and start earning some money because we've got a big mortgage to pay for. We've got to put the kids, you know, through everything. And so I think that that, um, that is a really dangerous slope. And I always say for any parents, you know, mums and dads, um, I really believe strongly that you have to keep your identity through, mm. through your kids' younger years because otherwise when they grow up, my eldest, Scarlett, is nearly 15 and you know, she's much as I don't want her to, she's off out in the world. And, you know, it's Mm -hmm. my relationship with her is great, but, but soon enough, she'll be out doing her own thing. And, you know, when that eventually happens with my youngest, what's left, Yeah. right? If you've put your entire identity on hold, um, then, then I think that that's one of the big problems in life. I think for parents is that they entirely pause their identity for their children just to be a mom or just to be a dad. Um, and for me, put, you know, trying to find the balance, kind of really elongated way of answering your question, but trying to find the balance is about making sure that when my, you know, my youngest, who is actually due to be born in November, eventually flies the nest, I know who I am, you know? And, and, and I have, you know, I have an identity. George has an identity. We have things that we love doing. I think that's really important. Ah, it's just so unusual for me to hear a man say that. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's amazing. I love it. I love it. Um, So what has, we're going to go back to the podcast now. What has your first year of podcasting brought you? And in general, perhaps, but also with regards to what we've just talked about, what have you learned? What have people made you go, oh my God. And then what? Wow. (laughs) The big moments. There was some. Re- there's been some really big kind of learnings for me. Definitely, the, one of the biggest is um, is kind of bravery. Um, and um, on my website, I have a T.S. Eliot quote, which is, "If you're not in over your head, how do you know how tall you are?" <laughs> and and I love that because from the idea of launching the podcast to actually launching the podcast was a while, right? And one of the main reasons for not launching the podcast was not time. I had a quite a lot of time mm-hmm. on my hands at that moment. Yeah. It was it was fear. It was fear yeah. that what will people think? And you and I have talked about this offline. Um, I was, you know, I had this kind of exterior, ex, you know, ex-CEO, everybody's waiting to see what he does next and nobody's expecting him to launch, a, you know, a, a podcast about living adventurously. So I was worried about that. And so for me, I think the podcast experience has taught me that, it's not important what, you know, what, what those people think. And, you know, they always say like haters are going to hate, right. So just (laughs) let them do it. And, and there's nothing I can do about that. So it was a reminder to me to, to control the controllables. And so just the very fact of getting it out there has been a massive, a massive experience for me. And then also pride is not necessarily something I talk about a lot, but I'm definitely proud that I didn't stop. Yeah, <laughs> which I know you'll appreciate because you're a I podcaster. <laughs> Other people may think that's an odd thing to say, but if you're a podcaster, you totally get it because there are high points and low points, and just consistently getting content out there for a year now, I'm really, I'm really proud of that. But I, I get the, the biggest epiphanies have always been just amazing guests, just shared amazing things. Like you know, I said you, you, you said that find what makes your heart sing, and I can genuinely tell you for every single one of my season two episodes, I've just launched the 30th episode. And every single one of those people gave me a golden nugget that I've used since. Yeah. I'm like, oh, that, that is amazing. I, I just feel so fortunate to hear those, those ideas, that wisdom for free. Yeah. I didn't have to pay for it. Oh, I know. And I've got it and I've got it forever. So, you know, those sort of things are critical. And then, and then I guess final thing I would say is that one of the things that really makes me smile, you know, because you were one of my guests, is at the end of every episode in season two, I always ask people, for anybody at home who is thinking about wanting to live more adventurously, what would be your advice? And genuinely, 
there's like almost entire consistency with what people say. They always say, just get started. Don't worry about having it all figured out. They always say, um, you know, uh, surround yourself with amazing people, your tribe. Don't listen to the naysayers. Just go find people that, that want to support you. And they, they always say, um, you know, adventure is what you make it right. So it doesn't need to be climbing mountains or rowing oceans or like building small adventure and lifestyle changes into your life every day. is just so powerful. And I love the fact that I've got this really diverse group of guests, you know, gender diversity, you know, different, uh, different backgrounds. Um, and everybody always says the same thing. And I love that. Yeah. Extraordinary. And you've, you mentioned the highs and lows uh, we talked uh, before yeah. um, about persisting through the highs and lows. And, and you know, as, you're, as you say, if you're not a podcaster, you might think, well, what can possibly be a low about podcasting? It sounds like a great laugh. And mostly it is, in my experience. But what for you have been the hard parts to kind of just go right to, I just need to get this out this week and then I'll regroup and deal? Yeah, I think the hardest bits for me have been, you know, early on feeling like you're talking to a void. Um, it's a bit like anything, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, when you when you first kind of get yourself on social media and you've got like 50 followers or something, thinking like, is anybody actually listening yeah. to this? Um, and you feel a bit like that when your podcast is is first out there. Like, is anybody really listening? Is that is that making is that making a difference? And then. Um, you know, struggling to do some of the basics like get get reviews and get shares and mm. stuff like this because you know that your guests are sharing amazing, amazing wisdom and you just want loads of people to be able to hear it. So there, there, mm. there's definitely occasional low points. But for the most part, it's been just uh, an amazing experience. I'm so, uh, I'm so fortunate to be able to do it. And, uh, you know, I just think that... Um, seeing people download the podcast every time you launch an episode is really heartening. And then the, I, I am not particularly, well, I'm not religious at all, but I will tell you, I believe kind of that, that if you think positively and, and put yourself in a, in the right headspace, the universe presents stuff to you. And I, yeah. it has never failed to amaze me that every time I have a flat point with the podcast where I think maybe I, maybe I should just make this the last, the last season or whatever yeah <laughs> somebody out there messages me whether it's you know linkedin or social media or whatever or the by my website and says i just listened to podcast episode x and you changed my life oh you know? and and i've had several of those and that's all you need right you just need yeah. you need that just that one little reminder that somebody was feeling depressed because you know they've had issues trying to get pregnant and now they've bought um, hiking shoes and they go out hiking every weekend and it's completely changed their mindset you know that's like that's a win for me it totally is I completely get that it's and it makes all the well for me it makes the lack of downloads some days disappear <laughs> and you just think well yeah. if only one person heard that and it made a difference then that's that's amazing have you had any unexpected bonuses surprises from doing this um, I, I would say that I have been really pleasantly surprised going back to my comment about dancing with the fear. And the main thing that stopped me launching the podcast was worry and fear about what people in my kind of corporate, uh, persona network might think I've yeah. been really pleasantly surprised by how many of those people from that side of my life have contacted me and said, I just discovered your podcast and I absolutely love it. And by the way, you know, I'm planning to do this next year or I've been, you know, learning to stand up paddle or, <laughs> you know, I feel like, I feel like, um, that's, that's been almost one of the best pieces of this for me is that realization or that affirmation that you just don't really know people. And, and that's, no. that has, you, you talk about what's been, you know, really changed, changed me one of the things is, you know, I still have a corporate job, but I make time now to really understand what people I work with do to make them happy. You know, one of the things, mm. one of the things that I talked about, I was a guest on another podcast recently, and I talked about this really weird question that we get asked 
when we're in social circles, like you, you know, you and Graham go to a dinner party and there's people there you don't know. Often the first thing that adults ask each other is what do you do for a living? Mm, And I think it's such an odd question (laughs) because we're basically then saying that how we earn money defines us. And I think that's part of the problem. So Mm. what I like to do now, and it's absolutely because of this experience of running the podcast is what do you do when you're not working? Like what makes you, what makes you really Ah. happy? And I use your, I use your question, like what makes your heart sing? Yeah. And it's really funny when you ask people that you work with for a kind of a corporate type job, that question, it stops them in their tracks because for the most part, nobody ever asks them that question, you know, and, and you really learn stuff about people. You absolutely learn stuff about, I was chatting to a corporate lawyer that I work with recently and, and I just asked the question and discovered that, you know, he's massively into hiking around the world and his vacation days that he takes are always like hiking in these gnarly, awesome places, you know, and he's wow. got a Garmin in reach like me and, and he's like <laughs> totally a kindred spirit. And in, in my former life, I would never have discovered that about him because I was so route one, we've got a job to do. Let's just yeah. get on the call and talk about our objectives and just learning a bit more about him. We now just have such a, such a different relationship. And I love that. And it must be, it must be very important in this crazy COVID times to understand people a bit more because we're not all, we're not seeing people very much either. Yeah. So a lot yeah. of your calls are on zoom or, you know, and there's, as they call it, there's less of the water cooler chat. So it's kind of good to do that. I think that's, I really like that. I hadn't, kind of thought about that Uh, I had a similar thing the other day someone saying what do you do and I yeah I just froze (laughs) because I was like ah it's too complicated I can't go into it anyway um and so with your journey it's a slightly corny cheesy word but it is a journey I like to think of it as that um you're obviously not just talking the talk you are walking the walk and you have have this amazing project adventure going on and it's not just for yourself it's for the benefit of people less fortunate so do you want to tell us a bit about that yeah sure so um i've been involved with a charity called scotty's little soldiers um for uh, i guess i I coming up on 10 years now um and it's a uh, it's a uk-based charity for bereaved forces children so um it was founded by uh, an amazing lady, Nikki Scott, and um, Nikki's husband was uh, was serving in the Royal Tank Regiment and was killed by an IED in Afghanistan in 2009, um, and obviously left behind Nikki, but but two children as well. And and Scotty's is all about supporting the children that that are you know that are affected by armed forces personnel who you know who lose their lives while serving. It's an amazing charity, does incredible work, and. Um, it's totally, totally unique. You know, it, um, it never, never fails to amaze me that we have these incredibly large military charities, uh, like the Legion and others. And, um, you know, at the, at the end of the day, the kids are not really focused on. And so there's children and young people whose, whose trauma, uh, you know, need, needs to be addressed and they need to be supported. And, you know, I think as, uh, kids are very resilient, but also their grief changes over the grief profile changes over time. So, you know, at the age they lose their parent, their grief may be different, but as they get older and there's certain milestones coming up. So Scotty's is a really important charity for me. And then the other, because of everything we've talked about and people that, that, you know, I know in my network have really grappled with, um, you know, mental health issues and depression. The other was mind. And I just decided that I wanted to do something this year um, to kind of pay it forward. And so I've set myself the target of raising 10,000 pounds, um, for those two charities. Um, and I was doing that by doing four, uh, four adventures, four challenges this year. The first was, um, Tenny Fan, which is climbing the, uh, the mountain, the highest mountain in South Wales, Penny Fan, which is 886 meters, uh, at least 10 times in 24 hours. Um, and uh, so I did that uh, back in uh, back in May, um, uh, and managed to get uh, ten reps done in sixteen hours. So that was an amazing, amazing achievement. Really happy with that. And Weatherfront came in, so I couldn't keep going, but was really happy to get the ten done. And then I just came back from 
the, the most life-changing experience ever of, of kayaking, uh, full island traverse of the Exuma Islands in the Bahamas. Um, and when you say that, people think, oh, you basically went on a holiday for two weeks in the Bahamas. <laughs> and, and, you know, it, you talk about InstaPerfects, like the pictures are amazing. So, so people find it quite hard to look at that and think that, that you've done something challenging. But we kayaked, well, we cycled the length of Little Exuma and Great Exuma, which is about 80 kilometers. Then we jumped into sea kayaks and we kayaked for five days 160 kilometers uh, along the island chain it's never been done before we spoke Mm. to all the locals in the area all the experts on the flows and tides nobody had ever done it in kayaks before frankly they thought we were insane there's a couple (laughs) of there's a couple of kind of gnarly crossings in there as well um and so we wild camped on beaches on the way uh, you know these uninhabited islands um so it was a proper kind of robinson crusoe experience um but, but with all of the challenges of being out on the water 10 hours a day with no shade, uh, heat stroke, you know, dealing with the wildlife and, um, uh, you know, salt and, um, yeah. you know, sand and all those good things. <laughs> it, it was an amazing experience that, that honestly, I don't think I've fully processed yet. And what, so because you did that with Rat Race and as I understand it, they're, ethos is that you go at the pace of the sort of the slowest person or it's, it's a team it's a team effort rather than a, right I'll see you at the end I'm off yeah exactly it's not it's not a these these events are not races they're adventures and so uh, there's no cutoff times there's no um you know there's no uh winner's medal um and this was also so they have a series of events that they call their bucket list items um, mm-hmm. And then in order to arrive at what gets put into the bucket list, they have this uh, group of people they call test pilots. And so, you know, I'm fortunate enough to now be able to call myself a rat race test pilot. How exciting. Which is cool. Yeah, which is yeah, cool. I feel like I, sh- cool. feel like I should put that on LinkedIn. But, uh, I saw, but based- well, I saw it on your, I did see it on your Insta, I think. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. I know. And I love, I love that. And, and basically the notion of a test pilot for them is, look, we've got this crazy idea for a challenge and we, we, we want to go and try it out, but we're not ready to fully sell it yet because mm. we need to make sure it's viable. We need to make sure it's safe. We need to make sure that what we think we know about the route makes sense. So they invite people like me to come along and we go and just test the route. And, and it's kind of, the idea is that you have to go fully in the knowledge that it may end up being an entirely different adventure to the one you thought you were going on. Um, And then you're asked to kind of send feedback and they use that feedback to say, okay, is this going to be an event that we commercially launch? Um, And if it is, then they get it live and people can then pay money to go and do that event going forward. Or it could be that they, they do it and say, look, that was, that was amazing. It was pretty gnarly. It was cool to do, but for a variety of reasons, it's not going to be commercially viable. And in either way, it's kind of a win, right? Because if it's the latter, then you're one of the only people ever to have done it. <laughs> and if it's the former, yeah. it's kind of cool knowing that you were part of creating a special experience that others are going to go on to have. And that's the case with Exuma. So the, if people check out my Insta, look at the pictures, there's more pictures coming soon. I'll get them up on my website as well. But if people want to sign up, that event is going to be running from 2023. Oh, how awesome. Um, you said yeah. that it was life-changing what made it more life-changing than any other kind of adventure that you've done? Well, I don't think I have an intelligent answer to that yet. Um, (laughs) But because I still think, I I genuinely still think I'm processing it. I mean, it was, it was life-changing on, on lots of levels. Um, It was incredibly difficult. Um, You know, being, being away from my family um, and being off grid, so for large parts of it, I, there's no cell phone signal, no mobile phone signal yeah. out there. I had a Garmin inReach so I could send like preset messages and, um, you know, that was difficult on all of us. And so you have a lot of thinking time, mm. um, like lying in your hammock late at night, not really able to sleep and, you know, because it's so hot and windy and all of those things. You do a lot of thinking time, a lot of self-reflection. Um, about why, you know, about, and the reason I say I haven't, I'm not sure I've processed it yet is like, why, mm-hmm. why is adventure so important to me? And what do I want to get out of adventure going forward? And what does it need to look like for it to give me what I want, but also, you know, not 
not be detractive to my relationship with my family. So there's some of that in there. There's just the shit. I mean, you've done some, some really cool stuff where you've been out in the middle of nowhere deserts, for example, uh, where there's no light pollution that if, if people have not done that before, and I, I thought I had, but this is truly out there in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of the ocean with no light pollution because there's no buildings. The sky is, you know, when you see it on movies, you think, oh, that's, that's like digitally enhanced. And then you realize that actually that is what it looks like. And you can't ever, you can't take a picture of that. Your phone, if you try and take a picture of that, it just looks like a black sky. If you try and take a picture of the moon, it, it looks like a, you know, a marble a million miles away. <laughs> but when you're there, you're like this, I, I don't know how this can be real. I, I, yeah. I've never seen the moon and the stars look like that. And I, and thankfully I can't unsee that. And I just love that. It's just amazing. And you feel a deeper connection. I know this sounds really cliched, but you just feel a deeper connection to the planet. I, I did mm. anyway. I just felt like yeah. what a privilege, <laughs> what an amazing place this is. And genuinely, I know it sounds really funny, but it makes me feel quite emotional mm. thinking about it because it was just, I, I, if I could write one law, it would be that everybody gets to have an experience like that, just one in their life, because I think everything gets put into perspective. Mm. Lovely. I'm just leaving that to sink for a minute. <laughs> what, so, so do you, are you actively trying to think of as you put it, an intelligent answer for that? Because that sounded pretty good to me. Yeah. Or are you just letting it percolate and that will come when it comes? I, um, I'm actively trying to think about it. I think because of the way my mind works, I have to, I have to kind of organize my thoughts on it. I can't just, my personality won't just let it kind of linger. And <laughs> I think also partly because I want to preserve it because I know that as time goes on, you forget stuff and I don't want to 10 years down the line, not really remember that experience. I want to be able to remind myself at any moment. So, uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to get some thoughts down on paper. I'm actually trying to write a book at the moment, um, mm. uh, um, called, called the adventure fix. Um, uh, which is clearly a bit of a play on words cause it's not just getting your fix, but I also believe. Yeah that adventure can fix some stuff <laughs> for a lot mm -hmm. of people. It did for me. Mm -hmm. It does for me. Um, so, yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. And I can imagine that Exuma is going to play a really important part in that. I, I just, mm. yeah, I've got to get it down. I've got to get it down in words, partly for me so that I don't lose it. And partly because I think, I hope that others might find it really helpful as well. Mm. Well, if it's any consolation, the first time I saw this guy like that, I was 23, 24. And that's half my life ago. And yeah. I can still even almost remember what I was wearing, who yeah. I was with. And when I, and just, so it, it won't go away. Yeah. No. <laughs> it won't go away. And I think they're the big, the, like the big bits like that. And, yeah. you know, at one point, um, we were, we, we, we'd done some film because, because it's a test pilot, we're filming by, you know, with a drone and there's a camera, mm -hmm. there's a photographer there. Cause they're trying to build this up as a commercial event. Yeah. And I was in a kayak, a double kayak with, with Jim, who's the CEO of Rat Race. And we paddled out and then turned around and realized the other guys weren't with us. So we kind of just sat there waiting. And normally when you're out there, you're paddling all the time. And so for the most part, all of the marine life is just like, they're not in, they want to be as far away from you as possible because you're making quite yeah. a lot of splash. Um, but we just sat there and floated for about 20 minutes waiting for the, for the, the others to kind of fix the issue they had and get, and get going. And, um, I saw this shadow, I was in the front of the kayak. I saw this shadow about 30, 40 foot up ahead on the right. And we saw quite a lot of nurse sharks, a lot of turtles, a lot of stingrays, um, all the time throughout the whole trip. And I said, Oh, I think there's a turtle up there. Cause some of them are quite big and it was like a quick, quite a big, like round shadow. And uh, we just sat there, just chilling, just quietly chatting. And this circle started to come down towards us. And then I realized it wasn't a circle at all. It was like a long cylinder <laughs> shape. And then it went out about well, perpendicular to the boat, turned around and then came back towards us. And 
it was either a tiger shark or a bull shark. Um, far and away the biggest thing I've ever seen in the water. It must have been eight, nine foot long, wow. you know, three or four foot, you know, wide in terms of diameter. And it, and it came around and looked at us again and then just disappeared. And, and again, just so those moments, like that moment, I will mm. never forget. I know on, I'll, yeah. I'll be on my deathbed and I will remember yeah. that. I will remember the sky. But I also don't want to forget the little bits, like the way I yeah. felt when we set up camp the first day and I set up my, and I put a picture of this on my Instagram, I set up um, my hammock and the sun was setting over the bay and I sat in my mm. hammock with a, with a cup of, a cup of coffee and just, just thinking that there can't be many people on the planet today who are sitting with a better view than that. <laughs> like what yeah. an amazing yeah. experience that is. And I know that that experience, I may start to forget over yeah. time because it's not, it's not as landmark an experience as the sky yeah. Yeah. or yeah. the moon or the shark or whatever. But anyway, I'm, I'm rambling now, but you can no, see what, no, well, you can see yeah, what effect it's, it's had on me. I can. And it's your podcast. You can edit out the rambling. If you want. <laughs> yeah, good, good point. Good point. <laughs> no, I, I'm, I love that. I love to hear because, you know, my husband Graham writes amazing race reports from all our expedition or adventure reports. And it is so important to write down how it was. And I often, he is very good at that. This happened and this happened. And I, and, you know, and I took, this amount of food on and then I felt a bit sick and da da da. I've always I've never been able to write a race report without really like it's more about how I felt and it's how it affected me and how the sickening, crying, snottering lows are just you know, they're, they're as just as important as yeah. the times when you're like absolutely like I'm the queen of the world. <laughs> you know, they're, they're just as important to remember. And so that's, I, I completely understand that it's really important to, to write down the big stuff, the little stuff, the hard yeah, stuff. It's, exactly. it's good. Um, yeah. Cool. So what, yeah. So you said you had four challenges and I know the other two are much closer to home, yes. but almost in a way ones that you are a little bit more, nervous about yeah I think so they 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 don't necessarily kind of fit the same grand adventure frame as say Exuma does but but equally you know I think they are they're going to be really challenging so at the time that we're recording this the the next one uh is going to be in two weeks and um uh so by the time this goes out I will have done it hopefully and hopefully completed it um, and a friend and I are going to try and break the world record for uh, the fastest um, descent by kayak of the navigable River Thames. So that's from Lechlade um, all the way down to Teddington Lock. That's 200 kilometers. And we're aiming to do it in under 75 hours. So put that into perspective. Okay, it's river, not sea. But we did 160 <laughs> kilometers in Exuma in, in five days of paddling. And we're going to do. 200 kilometers in less than three days of paddling so um you know it's it's definitely uh you know easier in the sense that it's a straight line you're going with the current because we're going down towards tellington but there's a lot of locks there's portages there's you know hydration food sleep we're going to be kayaking at night because we we're going to have to frankly because otherwise we wouldn't be able to make it so you know i think it's interesting because you know, it's a, it's a totally different frame. It's uh, this one's more about, okay, fastest time. Uh, you know, Exuma was all about it's slow, steady. It's kind of first gear stuff. You're just enjoying the environment. Um, you know, it's a process of attrition because you're going for so long and the heat's so relentless, but you've got a little bit more time to take in your surroundings. And this one's going to be, uh, definitely more, um, intense, uh, and, and a real challenge, but I'm really excited about it. And then the next one after that, uh, the last challenge is something that I don't believe has ever been done before and also involves the River Thames. Um, and I'm going to pack raft the full length of the River Thames. So I have a, I have a backpack with a, an inflatable pack raft um, and I will start up in Kemble, which is the source of the Thames run, you know, the first kind of 10K 
then pump up the pack craft, get in the water, paddle, then get out, run again, paddle, run, paddle, run, all the way down to uh, Teddington Lock, where we're stopping for the next challenge. And at that point, the last section is run a marathon to the Thames Barrier. Wow. With the pack on your back? So that one I'm... Not at Teddington. Well, yeah. so no, I, the pack on my back all the way to Teddington Lock and then and then ditch the pack and then just run a marathon, which is basically all the way along the Thames through London. And you're doing that one unsupported? Yes. So unsupported in the sense that I'm going to carry everything I need um, with me in the pack other than water, which I'll, I'll refill at water stations along the way. Um, which there's plenty of obviously on the Thames for boats. Um, but I, I, it's funny because I'd originally decided that this was going to be entirely solo and I didn't want anybody to come along. I wanted to just do it all on my own. And what I've subsequently decided is that the whole community aspect of 28 summers is so important to me that if people want to come along and do sections with me, I'd love that. Um, mm. And I've got some people that uh, that have already said they want to come and paddle a section. Some people want to come and run a section. Some people want to come and cycle with me on the path. Um, so at various stages along the way, I'll have people come and join me. Um, but of course, I'll be the only one who's going from source, source to sea. Good. And so people can support you by doing that. And I'm going to come on to my final questions in a minute. But um, they can also support by... Uh, donating to your charities can they do that through the website yeah so there's a couple of ways they can find that they can either follow me on instagram at one day adventurer and then in my bio there's a link a link tree link and project adventures on there um or they can go to 28summers.com and there's a there's a link on there as well awesome now i have two final questions for you one is what is the plan for the podcast following the end of this season yeah so um i have recorded now almost all of the episodes that will go out in season two i've been overwhelmed by the number of guests that have agreed to be on um and i will the 50th episode will be the last episode of season two that will go out in october and then we're having a bit of a, a break in play as you know george and i are expecting a baby so i'm going to take a Yay! Yeah, we're really excited about that. Um, and I'm going to take a, you know, a little bit of time off for that so I can focus on family. And then season three will start next year. And the new decision, the decision I made there is that I'm going to do 28 episodes. Uh, it's all, all about the 28. So season three will be 28 episodes. And what that works out quite nice is if I launch the first episode just before New Year's Day, uh, next year then uh one every other week will pretty much be a year so that will take us all the way through 2022 um and but i think the format i'm going to mix it up a little bit so some of them uh maybe do some video um some of them mm -hmm. definitely are going to be in person uh maybe on Fun. on adventure and then i'd also like to mix up the format a little bit and do some you know maybe some round table type chats about adventure with multiple guests where instead of a kind of a interviewer and interviewee it'll be a bit more about discussion about adventure or some key areas so i'm pretty excited about that and and you're speaking at a festival as well yes is that right the armchair festival? yeah armchair armchair adventure festival um really excited about that so um the guys there matt and reese that organized that uh went on their own legitimate uh, adventure a couple of years back they went in a scooter and sidecar all the way around the world got a world record for that um, so oh yeah, I just interviewed them <laughs> last week. Uh, they're going to be on the pod in a couple of weeks, uh, but they set up this, this, uh, virtual, um, uh, festival during COVID and it's now going to be in person down in Cornwall in September. Uh, and I'm doing two things that I'm speaking. So I'm going to be on the, the speaker list, which I'm really excited about, uh, talk about my journey. And then I'm also doing live, uh, campfire podcasts with Q and a with the audience. So they'll all be sat in like camp chairs around the campfire asking, asking my guest questions. I'm pretty excited about that. That sounds absolutely amazing. And the last question, to which I think I know the answer, but I'm going to ask you anyway, who is your, or who are your dream podcast guests? Well, the, the obvious one who I have reached out to, uh, and I will continue to bug him until he says <laughs> yes, is, uh, is Jesse Itzler, mm -hmm. um, for, for obvious reasons, you know, yeah. and, I, and I've explained to him in a note just, just why I'd love to get him on. So if anybody here has any 
any contacts <laughs> with Jesse, please, please help me out because I'd love to get him on the podcast. Now, outside of that, one of, one of my, I did a post about three months ago and, and listed like my top five potential guests. And, and one of them was Laura Bingham. So I just think she's oh, yeah. a really, really cool adventurer. She's done some really awesome stuff, but she's also a mum to three kids and she's juggling all of that. And she's got an adventurer husband, Ed, who's off doing mm. stuff all the time. And I just think she's really inspirational. And I'm delighted to say uh, she came on the pod and her episode's coming out soon. So, so happy that was days. Cool. Yeah. She was amazing. That, she's very cool. Uh, that's cool. Um, that's amazing. Uh, I mean, I, I'm going to say thank you, even though, yeah, you can thank me too. But <laughs> <laughs> that was really amazing. And I know that we have, we've known each other for a while, even though we've never met in person. I know. How uh, funny it was is so that? so nice to hear. <laughs> yeah. Instagram COVID friends. Yeah. Uh, it's really been amazing to hear a lot more about what makes you tick and the things that are important to you. It's awesome. I just wanted to say a huge thank you to you. I know it's probably a bit of a, a quirky ask, but I wanted to be able to talk about some of this stuff um, so that people could hear it. And I wanted to kind of mark the one year because it is an anniversary that I'm really proud of, but I didn't want it to just be me talking down the mic. And I started to think about, well, maybe I could get somebody to interview me and you were the first person I thought of because I just think you're a fantastic interviewer. I love your podcast. So I was really delighted when you said that. Oh, thank you. Well, um, many, many, many congratulations on the one year anniversary. I'm not, I won't be far behind you. you. And it is, it does, you're right to feel proud of it because you do an amazing thing and people are inspired and uh, you're, it's really great. So congrats. Thanks, Katie.